Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let me welcome you. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team here. I just want to double down on John's uh, sole announcement. Uh, we're so thankful for you if you serve on a service team. We want to cook for you. And we want to cook good food for you. But we need you to ASAP, as soon as possible, sign up on the website uh, for that service team appreciation lunch so that we can make sure we have enough food and celebrate properly all the hard work and all the labor that goes into making Sunday morning and many other things happen in this church. And so thank you uh, for all who serve on service teams. We're excited to celebrate with you. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning uh, in need of hope. And not just hope conceptually or hope theoretically, but, but hope uh, really. Like felt, experienced, longed for, lived in hope. Our city, Lord, we know longs for hope. So would you help us see Jesus? who is the fulfillment and the culmination and the expression eternally of all of our hope. Help us to see him this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we just finished the book of Jonah last week. This week and for the next two weeks, we're heading back into our series we're calling Counterformation. And, and the basic premise of the series, if you missed uh, it in September, is this. Uh, basically, we are formed and shaped all the time uh, by forces in our world. Uh, we believe that the Christian life, if we stand still, uh, actually leads us to going backwards, away from Jesus. But if we're pressing into who Jesus has us to be, 
Uh, we believe there is much in store. We're being formed more and more to the people that we need to be. Already we've seen that we're called to be a holy people. Already we've seen that we're called to live today in view of that great day to come. But today we see that we're to be a hope-filled people. A hope-filled people. One of the defining marks of the Christian alongside faith and love is, of course, famously hope. Hope. This past week, I was talking to a number of you who've had to turn off the news because of how hopeless it seems recently. Just the other day, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who was counseling somebody who was experiencing uh, anxiety-driven insomnia. Maybe you came this morning sleep-deprived. If you're in the tech world right now, mass layoffs, it feels, given the geopolitical instability, plunging markets, rising inflation, impossible housing, I don't mean to make you anxious this morning, it feels hopeless. How can a Christian, a follower of Jesus, be hopeful in the face of such unknowingness? Further, is Sunday morning a time to come and just forget the troubles of this world? Right? Is it an opiate of the masses, as Marx would say? Or, or is it an opportunity right now here in this moment, to trust in the only real answer to each and every seemingly hopeless problem in our lives. Does Jesus have something to say about our hopelessness? Does he have an answer to give? I think he does. I want to show you the hope we have this morning from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. Together we're going to see three things. Very simply, the tenses of hope. The tenses of hope. Second, the test of hope. And then third, the thrill of hope. And so if you have your Bible, 1 Peter 1, we're going to begin at verse 3. You can follow along with me. We're going to see first the tenses of hope. Verses 3 to 5 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In, in these three verses, Peter speaks to all of our life, all of our life, every bit of our life. He has us look back, he has us look ahead, and he has us look at today. And in each of these tenses, past, future, and present, Peter says, Christian, whether you know it or not, your life is infused, saturated with hope. With hope. Look, first he asks us to glance back. Verse 3, look, look there with me. After giving our Heavenly Father praise, he gives the reason for the praise. Why should you worship God this morning? Why should you join Peter and the church across millennia in saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Here's the reason. Because according to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Peter is building a house of hope, one that cannot be shaken despite global events, here's the bedrock. Here's the foundation. Ready? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. And how you answer that question this morning, where is Jesus physically located? Either rotting or decomposing or really fully decomposed in a Palestinian tomb somewhere or gloriously in a body in heaven. How you answer the question, where is Jesus located this morning? Determines whether or not you can have hope this morning. Why? Because Jesus' resurrection if true, means that God has accepted his once and for all offering for our sin in his body as a sacrifice for what I did wrong and for what you did wrong. Because Jesus' resurrection means that just as he came once, he will come again, except not in weakness, but in power to redeem all things. Jesus' resurrection means that just as he came up bodily out of the grave, not as a ghost, not as a spirit, but he came up out bodily out of the grave, so too is our destiny this morning, not eternal darkness and death and nothingness, but embodied, eternal, active, glorious life with Christ forever. In other words... Our hope is anchored and secure and safe in the past action of God in history when he raised his son by his spirit from the dead. And Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Though dead, Jesus is now alive. And so one scholar, Karen Job, she writes this, Christian hope is ever-living because Christ, the ground of that hope, is ever living. The present reality of the Christian's life is defined and determined by the reality of an event that already happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter's phrase then, right, did you see that in the text? A living hope. It points us to Christ who is living, but also important, it stands in contrast to what would be false or futile or, or dead hopes. So for example, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 12, he describes those who trust in other gods, other ways of being saved, other ways of being justified as having no hope and without God in the world outside of Jesus. And again, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul makes mention of people who think that this world is all there is. And so when people die, when they get to the funeral, what happens? They grieve as those who have no hope. We are creatures made to hope. We've all put our hope somewhere this morning. How have you come, a Christian or not? You've put your hope somewhere this morning. It exists somewhere. It doesn't just go away. You've put it somewhere. You've put it on something or on someone. We all hope. 
The question then is, is your hope on a firm and living foundation or is it on a shaky and dead one? And don't misunderstand me. This is not a TED Talk about optimism, about being positive. The theologian Leslie Newbegin said this, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Peter wants us to build our house of hope on the resurrected Jesus. Look back, he says, look back. But he also calls us to look forward. Look ahead. This is the future tense of hope. Because Jesus is resurrected, we have been born again, notice that language, to a living hope, and therefore, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for, and I love it, for you, for me, for the church. It's quite likely that the Christians to whom Peter writes in the first century are displaced people. People who had relatively cushy lives in Rome, but because of increased persecution, they are now on the run. They've left land. They've left inheritance. They've left their future in a very real, tangible sense. It's a reality we know experienced by many refugees today who, having worked hard their whole life, gone to school, got a job, built a future, have had to leave it all behind, all behind only to do some minimum wage work in a strange land. This experience of losing everything, this experience that these first century Christians had, this experience that is known by modern refugees and so many throughout the ages, this experience once more draws our attention to the fleeting futility of earthly hopes and earthly inheritance. These hopes are susceptible, in the words of Jesus, to moth and rust, to war and famine, to market crashes and environmental disasters. These hopes are perishable, at risk of defilement, ultimately fading. And I just want to talk to you. If you're a Christian this morning, I know you know that. And I know you would say you believe that. But let me just ask again for fun. Do you know that? Does your life say that you believe that? Do you believe that the only inheritance we can bank on is not here on this earth, but kept for us in heaven? See, when Peter says, look back at the text, when Peter says we've been born again, he signals to all those who trust in Christ that there's been a transference of families. We've been adopted into a new family. And with a new family comes a new will, comes a new inheritance. No more the old one, now the new one. And with this new inheritance, we find that this one is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. It is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. That's good news. There, there are two kinds of news in our world today. There is news, 
capital N news. And then there is news, little n news. Little n news fills our feeds and our thoughts for most of the day. It reminds us of how depraved we are and how depraved other people are. It is the kind of stuff we talk about at parties and the kind of thing that is debated amongst politicians on stages. It is little n news. Little n news. Then there is capital N news. Capital N news exists to shape and inform how we encounter little n news. And here are some of the headlines of capital N news. Ready? God created the world and everything in it, and it all belongs to him. Though man rebelled against God, God sent his son to save man from their sin. Here's another one. God will have the last word. He will win. He will judge evil fully. He will renew all that we've tarnished. He will save all who turn to him in repentance and faith. I know that's a long headline. It's capital N news. And it's meant to inform how we read and engage and live in light of little n news. Little n news that feels to us like capital N news. And the question this morning is which news are you reading? What fills your mind? What controls your thoughts? What fuels your decisions? Which news has its hand on the rudder of your heart? And I hope you see this morning that what I'm advocating for is not a retreat from reality, but a going deeper into reality. Not an escape from reality, but truly seeing, perhaps for the first time, reality as it truly is. To see past the superficial and live in what will last forever. Peter says, our hope is a future hope. Which leaves one last tense, the present. The present. Verse 5, look at your Bible. Verse 5 says, Who, talking about us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If our hope rests on God's past action in the resurrection of Jesus, and our future hope rests on God's promise of an inheritance, how silly, how strange, how foolish would it be to think that our present hope is located with us, with me, with my abilities and my skills and my strengths. And so one commentator reminds us, he says this, God keeps the inheritance for us, listen, and he keeps us for the inheritance. He keeps us for the inheritance. Meaning right now today, as we trust in Jesus through faith, the same power that God exerted in the resurrection and the same power he will display on that final day, that same power is at work in us now to guide us and to keep us safely home. What is this power? Tell me more. It is God's very spirit. It is God's very self. In Paul's famous prayer in Ephesians 1, he prays for the church in Ephesus, and we saw this at our prayer meeting last week. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
having right now, today, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do you see it? Do you see him? Do you see what he's doing? Do you see how God's Spirit is working in his church today? God's Spirit reminds us of capital and news. He gives us wisdom, the revelation and the knowledge of him. He gives this to us so that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. He, his Spirit, takes our eyes off of ourselves. We're so bent inwards. He takes our eyes off of ourselves. He adjusts our neck. It's a heavenly chiropractor. He takes our eyes off of futile and perishing hope and makes known to us the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Hope, hope is what the Holy Spirit loves to breathe into God's people. This past week I was having a day. Raise your hand if you were having a day this past week. I was having a day. Maybe you had a week. Maybe you're having a month or, or a year. I was having a day this past week. And by God's grace, and I believe by God's spirit, when I got down to the core of all my despair and all my disappointment, what I found was this, hopelessness. I don't actually think God will change me as a parent. I don't actually think God is strong enough to save my kids. I don't actually think God has us here in this neighborhood for a good purpose and a good reason. And at the heart of most of my despair and most of my hopelessness is this deep void where there is no hope, where the promises of God are not real to me but abstract and distant. God's Spirit loves to meet us in exactly that place. God guards us. He keeps us even today by His Spirit with hope. Because in this life, and this is our second point, hope will be tested. Look at this, the test of hope. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. It's a strange way to begin something about testing. In this you rejoice, Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that this faith may be found to result in praise and glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, and this is so important, it's so important, it's not that you will experience trials despite following Jesus. He's saying this. He's saying, because you follow Jesus, you will experience trials. There are trials unique to the church, unique to the Christian, that you could avoid if you just don't follow Jesus. But Peter's saying, because you've chosen to follow Jesus, because he saved you, because you've set your hope on him, you're going to endure these things. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. You're going to endure these things. And so how should we respond when this hope is tested? What kind of things did the Spirit bring to mind? Let me show you. First, the Spirit reminds us that this test, these trials, all have an expiry date. Look, look, look back at verse... Six, he says, in this you rejoice. And then look what he says. 
Though now for a little or short while. And maybe you think Peter just like misspoke. But, but he doubles, doubles down at the end of this book, at the end of this letter. He says in chapter 5, And after you have suffered, again, a little while, a short while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, Peter writes to dispersed Christians who have experienced definitely years, maybe even decades of persecution. And the language of persecution in 1 Peter in particular doesn't just refer to physical persecution. It refers also to like mental anguish and torment, psychological anguish. For decades they've endured this. And Peter has the gall to say, though now for a little while, though now for a short while, how can he speak of this? Peter has been reading and praying and living and delighting in the capital N news. That in comparison to eternity and to all the glory therein, what is this life and what are these trials, if not, as Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4, light and momentary afflictions, brief and passing troubles. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Be reminded of that, Christian. But he says something more. He says, and the Spirit reminds us today, that these tests and trials are necessary. Why? Because faith that is untested is just hypothetical faith. It's hypothetical faith. It's conceptual faith. But faith that is tested, that is pressed, that is squeezed and proved genuine, the real McCoy, is the kind that when Jesus returns at his revelation, will result in praise and glory and honor. See, God is preparing for us in the present what's to come in the future. How sad would it be, how tragic would it be if on the day of Jesus' return, we discovered that we didn't actually love Jesus, we just loved his gifts? How sad would that be? How sad would it be if on the day of Jesus' return, we discovered that our hope was actually not in him, but, but really more in our bank accounts. Was actually not in him, but really more in our ability, our cleverness, our systems. God loves us too much to let us arrive on the last day like that, in that way. So he gives us, Peter says, necessary trials. What a gift. What a gift. No wonder Peter says this kind of faith is more precious than gold, which is also refined in fire. One perishes, the other proves eternal. And when we come to see trials in this way, the third response to testing, though sounding strange, becomes obvious. In fact, there's nothing else we can do. Peter begins verse 6, we rejoice. In this you rejoice. Not because Peter's a sadist, not because he's a glutton for punishment, but because God in his mercy and grace, 
in Jesus has found a way to take the most painful experiences and traumas of our life, flip them on their head, and use them for our good and his glory. He's done this to form in us right now the very character of Christ himself. Our hopes are the product of what we love in this world, right? The line between what we love and what we hope in is, is, is short, right? So we love control, speaking hypothetically here. I don't know anybody like this. We love control. So we hope for a spouse, right, who seemingly blends into our daily routine with, with minimal intrusion, right? Want control still. Don't take that from me. We, we crave notoriety. We want to be known, right, famous in our own ways. And so we hope for a promotion or a title that we feel is on par with how special we thought ourselves to be for some years now. I'm really special. Why can't anybody else see this? I'm, I'm really special. And what I want us to see here is not only are these hopes fading, they're also too small. They'll never lead to true joy. Jesus offers to all who would follow him in death through various tests and trials the joy of hope. The joy of delighting in all the hope we were made to hold. It's the promise of waking up from a dream and realizing, as C.S. Lewis wrote, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. That we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. Christ City, our hopes, my hope, your hope, is far too small. It's too small. Our desires are not too big. They're half-hearted. Which brings us to our third and final point, the thrill of hope. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you know I stole this from an Advent song, okay? So credit where credit's due. And I know it's not Christmas yet, though we're putting up lights this week. Um, you know, when marital disputes make their way into the pulpit, it's always a safe bet. But it seemed to me, at least this year, by the way, Maisie wants Christmas more than I do, so I just want to be clear. It seemed to me this year that we needed to meditate on hope well before our church calendar called for it. See, each Advent we sing these words of O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. Listen, and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. I promise I will, send, will sound more glorious when others are singing it during Advent. But, but hope is thrilling. Hope is, is thrilling. But more than that, hope is sustaining. True hope is not a fading pop of color 
that's here for a second and then gone the next moment in an otherwise drab world. True, sustaining, thrilling hope becomes the glorious and joy-filled lens by which everything, past, future, present, is seen. Hope becomes the disposition of our heart. And so Peter writes, and our passage concludes, though you have not seen him. Listen to how he describes this church. Listen to how he describes this church. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. By the way, these are emotive words. Peter is pulling at our hearts. Now, our feelings aren't everything. We know that, right? But neither are they nothing. Peter's engaging our hearts here. Would your heart be engaged? Listen. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter writes to a people who, despite all they've endured, have set their hope fully on the hope that is theirs in Jesus, a hope that will result not in disappointment, but in obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so we end this morning by asking, are our hearts filled with the same thrill of hope? And so again, I don't know how you've come this morning. If you're new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you don't know Jesus, again, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're all on our own journey. But I was reminded this week by someone that hopelessness is often tied to helplessness. We feel like we're being swept up in an uncontrollable tide, and so what else can we do but throw up our hands? What else can we do but give up? So at risk of exacerbating your hopelessness, let me assure you, it's true. You're helpless. We're helpless. You're helpless to atone for your sin. We are on our own helpless against the forces of death, the devil, the world, and the flesh. We're helpless. But listen, God isn't. Moreover, God has acted against each one of these things decisively and definitively in sending his son Jesus, whom we do not yet see, but whom we love. Let your helplessness not bring you to hopelessness, but let it do its full work in you so that you might turn for help to the only one who has and who will and who can do something about it. And maybe your hopelessness manifests itself in cynicism. Cynicism towards others. Cynicism towards God. Even his good gifts are hesitatingly received, right? Because, you know, who knows what comes next, right? We're waiting for the other shoe to drop, the next hard thing to come. And so I ask you this morning, is that who God has shown himself to be to you? In history, in your life, is that who God will be? Every gift God gives us is for our good, even our trials, that he would become our all-sufficient joy. This week, a friend shared with me a song from a singer-songwriter named uh, Foy Vance. Some of you might know him. And the song is called Two Shades of Hope. And in it, 
he sings of how hope deals the hardest blows. Hope deals the hardest blows. Let me read a few stanzas to you. And the girl that holds the hand of a somewhat distant man, though she did everything she can, still his heart set sail for a distant land, and she wonders sometimes if he knows how she feels like a trampled rose. Baby, hope deals the hardest blows. And a few stanzas later, well, some people think their sin caused the cancer that's eating into them, and the only way they can win is by the healing of somebody's hands on their skin. But when the cancer does not go, baby, hope deals the hardest blows. And he's right, isn't he? There is no pain like unmet hope. Like hope dashed, hope lost, hope unrealized, hope disappointed. But in that same song, he goes on to sing that despite these hardest blows, Despite all these terrible and terrible and terrible hurts, we are people who, in his own words, cannot help ourselves but hope. And the question this morning is, to what do we attribute this to? Is it to the indomitable, uncrushable human spirit? Is it to evolutionary biology and our need to reproduce? Or could it be, here's a thought, that we are hope-shaped creatures? made in the image of a hope-filled God. The invitation this morning is simple. It's not complex. It's simple. Put your hope where it belongs today. Hope in Jesus. Jesus who says to us, in the words of theologian Jonathan Edwards, our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. And the best things are yet to come. Christ City, can we rise as a hope-filled people this morning to sing and worship together? As we do that, let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, that you, in all your glory, and all your majesty and all your plans to do good and hopeful things, uh, they remain unchanged this morning. Despite our despair and despite our hopelessness, who you are, what you've done, and what you will do, and what you're doing right now remains the same. Unchanging. Unfading. So we look to you, Jesus. Where we are weak, you are strong. Where we are hopeless, you are steadfast. You will see our salvation through to the end. You have us. And isn't that good news? Not that we have you, but that you have us this morning, your people. Would you keep us in your hope? A hope that moves us not to removal from this world, but a deeper engagement with this world and the hopelessness of it. Would we go wherever we go this week with the hope of Christ? Would the answer we give not be superficial? Would you keep us from giving tips and tricks? But would we instead offer to this world the hope of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected? We look to you, Jesus. Fill us with your hope by your spirit, we pray. Amen.